Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am committed to bringing to you guests who will both inspire and challenge you. And I promise that will be the case today. And if you enjoy my show, please be sure to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. My podcast is brought to you by my company. We are the publisher of books and products that help people improve the way they communicate with each other at work and also at home. And you can learn more about them at growstrongleaders.com. I am so excited to bring as my guest today and introduce you to my wonderful friend and colleague, Vanessa Brewers. Vanessa, welcome to my show. Thank you. It is, you are in my world, the emblem of communication and connection. And it's such an honor to be here. I have so much respect for you. I love your show. I love the way you show up in the world. And uh, so thank you. Really, thank you. Well, I'll tell you, there are so many reasons I'm excited to interview Vanessa. She first became a certified health coach. And as she worked with clients, she realized, gee, there's a lot more going on than just health issues. So then she went on to become certified in the transformational coaching method and the master transformational coaching method. And so she works with clients from all walks of life in all kinds of positions. And one of the things I admire so much about what you do, Vanessa, is the way you are fully present with people in a non-judgmental way. They can sense how much you care about them and you really call them on their stories. And I love that you don't let them stay and simmer in whatever it is they are sitting in at any given moment. Um, One of the other things about Vanessa that's such a strength is she is the host of a weekly live show on Facebook and YouTube called Practical Magic. And I've had the honor of being a guest on her show. And one of the things that she is the best in the world at bar none is her copywriting skills and talent. And I know you would say Vanessa inspiration in writing up these very compelling messages about her upcoming guests that cause you to say, there is no way I can miss this episode (laughs) because the guests sound so amazing. Um, And Vanessa also has recently demonstrated her amazing writing skills in this wonderful book that she's written, describing her experience with motherhood called We Are One. I've read this book now twice, and I just loved it. I loved what she brought in terms of her own raw emotions, the things she went through. And we're going to go into some of that today. 
And what's going to be interesting, I know already in our conversation, Vanessa, is that the things we talk about will have universal application. So if someone's a mother, they'll really, you know, resonate. Um, And yet for those who aren't, or for my listeners who are dads, there's going to be a lot here for them to take away because of who you are as a human being. One of the other things I want to mention before we get into our conversation is Vanessa is one of the most committed uh, individuals I know on self-development. She, I don't even know how many coaches you've worked with. And it isn't a, it isn't a representation of your neediness. It's your desire to grow, learn, and expand and constantly stretch yourself. And I admire that so much because you never settle. And that was one of the interesting themes in your book too, that we want to dive into. So let's start off with you describing a little bit about how did you come to become a coach and also a mother? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like I didn't have a choice (laughs) in either one. Thank you, by the way, for that introduction. You know, I, I, it's funny because I actually did stumble into both and it came from at least the coaching one came from not wanting to settle. So I, I graduated college and my graduate program in four years combined, because what happened is I got into college and I just kind of realized I'm a total nerd. So you could put me in a potato chip manufacturing classroom. And I could, I'd be fascinated because I just love learning, (laughs) but I quickly occurred to me that the college environment felt dull. It just felt dull. Like I liked the learning aspect, but honestly, after a, a semester, I was bored by the social aspect. I was I I took 21 credits a semester, piano, dance, like everything I could just because it it was, I just kind of got intuitively that it wasn't going to be what I thought it was. And I didn't want to transfer and start over. So I looked for a way to leverage it. And that was to combine, do this combined master's program. So I did that and it was very intense, but really, you know, it got me out faster. It was essentially what I, what I was doing it for. And when I graduated, I felt a little lost. And so while most of the graduates of my program went off to do consulting work, I ended up in an unpaid internship with the city planning department, working 40 hours a week. It was, it was like the office without any humor. You know, it was like, it was truly, and I remember one day I was sitting in my desk, which was in the corner of this office. I couldn't relate to anybody, anybody just was such a weird time. And I had two blank walls that I stared at all day and I left one day and I thought, cause I was bartending also all like almost another 40 hours a week. And I was like, if I am going to work unpaid 40 hours a week, why don't I put that time into something that I want to do? I just keep bartending. That's where my money comes from, but there's no future here. And I will, I remember I was sitting in the sunroom at my parents' house and I sat back and I said, what do I want to, what do I want to learn? If I'm going to free up this time, what do I want to learn about? And I wanted to learn about nutrition and I didn't want to go back to school. I just finished an intense master's bachelor's program. And so I just started asking people that I knew, where can I learn about nutrition that isn't college? And, uh, I was connected to the mother of my sister's friend who had just graduated from a health coaching training. 
we had coffee and I enrolled that day. And so it was, it was a, it was such a beautiful twist of fate too, because this particular program was focused on the non-dietary elements that influenced food choices. Mm. It was just luck, honestly. And so that part I was fascinated by, and I got hired to work at a supplement store and they, I was the manager of the supplement store. I got paid hourly and commission. My job was to sell supplements, but nobody bothered me. Nobody ever checked in on me. So I just started doing free health coaching in addition. And, and, and so what I kind of got was beautiful, free training, a very practical application of coaching. And what I found is that nobody ever talked about food. They would come in and tell me their health goals. And then for the next four months, all we would talk about were their marriages, their relationships, their work environments. And so I started to get really curious about that. And that just, as I followed every little breadcrumb, it led me down into life coaching and performance coaching. And my desire for more and more kept me engaged in coaching. And so that was the, that was how I, like, I kind of ended up here. And now you are working with a variety of folks from different walks of life and, um, and being a mother at the same time. Mm-hmm. And your daughter at the time we're recording this, Pepper, is just turned two years old in July. I think that's you right. said, right? Okay. So that's been its own adventure and um, experience. And I just admired so much your willingness to describe the various emotions you had from the moment you found out you were pregnant to when she was born, after she was born, and all the adjustments you made personally and in your marriage. And thinking about my listeners, some of whom um, are mothers, what are some of the things that you feel have been, because you're my audience needs to know this. Vanessa is one of these people that never just goes through an experience. She is looking for takeaways, insights, lessons learned to, uh, you know, for the greater principle, the greater learning that's in there. And there are some things I know that you've kind of had as takeaways around motherhood and what we're, we're, you know, societal norms, let's say, what we hear all the time about motherhood and where the focus needs to be and what you've learned in your journey. Talk some about that. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing I would say is that for both the listeners that are mothers and the ones that aren't, for me, what it was really about was the idea that there, there's nothing even if it's a universal experience, we all experience it personally. And so what I wanted this journey and this book and my existence really to perpetuate is permission to have whatever experience you're having. Whether that's being elated to be a mother, being, you know, in a job that you should love, but you don't, you, you know, being very fortunate to have what you have, but hating it, you know, it doesn't matter. Like permission to just feel whatever is there. And for me, that's what my commitment was about motherhood, because my reality was I was devastated to be pregnant. And that really surprised me. And I felt so guilty about it. And that right there, that idea of 
becoming aware of an experience and then immediately feeling guilty about it from my experience is one of the biggest perpetuants of underperformance and unhappiness because it's not until we are willing to confront what we experience that we have any possibility of changing it. So as I evolved, what I came to understand and what I really believe is that motherhood isn't about the development of a child. That's what childhood is about. Motherhood is about the evolution of the woman. And when looked at through that perspective, what got to fall away for me was self-sacrifice. What got to fall away from me was this idea that I had to become some image of a mother that was some mix of like a, you know, 1950s white picket fence, you know, whatever, or this like other rebellious, negligent woman, you know, like it got to, I got to ask myself, what does this look like for me? If it's not about her and it is about me. And even that was like, can I, can that be true? Is that selfish? Can I do that? Because we have this kind of universally accepted idea that at least I experienced that motherhood has to be this massively selfless, self-sacrificing endeavor, which it easily can become because your child doesn't think motherhood is about the mother. <laughs> and so that just created a lot of freedom for me. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, one of the words that I, I think comes up for a lot of people is this idea of balance. You know, how do I get balance if I'm a working person, mother or father, the balance between family life? And you tend to avoid that word. You have um, other words like integration and expansion, which I happen to love, that you prefer. So talk about the distinction for you between balance and integration and expansion. I will. And I'm, I'm just going to actually, I wrote something down in a meditation the other day uh, when I was thinking about our time together. So I might, I might even just read that. I don't know, but oh, go ahead. When I think about balance, I think about <laughs> a clown on top of a balloon spinning plates. And there's like a monkey at the bottom with a needle ready to <laughs> pop the balloon. <laughs> And balance is, it's, it, it feels to me like this act of circus performance where it's so, it, it's fueled by this stressed out need to make sure nothing falls. Mm. I just haven't experienced that as sustainable because even when I do get things balanced, inevitably something else shows up that throws the whole balance off. And then I'm back in the dance of, oh crap, I hope the balloon doesn't pop. And so what, and that's exactly why I was so afraid of motherhood because I thought that was going to be my fate. Because the reality is when you have a child, you have the whole, you actually get a, a second life that you have to live and manage is that, you know, like literally there's the second life. And so if I don't even know conceptually how that would work, how would you balance two lives? Because it would always feel like one was taking from the other. And all I knew at the beginning was that I was not going to accept that as a, as a fate or reality. And so I, when I sat back and asked myself, well, what is the alternative? It was that, and I didn't even know what this meant at the time. I have to get bigger so that I can like live both lives 
at the same time. And so the, the analogies that I give is like, or that I, that comes to mind is being on a football field and all the different aspects of your life are on a football field. And so in order to, to dedicate whatever energy you need to, you're constantly running around on the football field to see what aspect of your life needs attention. But to me, expansion is becoming the field. Instead of compartmentalizing ourselves and dividing ourselves into each one of those aspects of our life, we become so expanded. And it's an inside thing I'm talking about. And we can talk more about how to do this, but that all those elements now fit inside you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got this image myself when you were talking about becoming the field. I just love that because it brings out this immediate image of expanding yourself to be much bigger than you might currently think you are. And this, I think, is huge. You're bringing up to me such a critical point, because if we have a personal relationship, whether we're a parent, a spouse, you know, in a uh, whatever family or romantic relationship, and we also work, then we have this um, situation where there are multiple aspects of us. And if you add in maybe a hobby or, you know, a side passion that you really love spending time on, the more things that you, and I'm thinking about our language, because that was one of the key things you talked about also in your book is just how we learning to pay attention to the words we say, because I was just thinking of a phrase that many people use, which is I'm spread so thin, or I have too much on my plate. And all of these images that create stress for us. And so thinking about your own experience, and also as you coach people, how do you help them shift from, well, first of all, become more aware of the language they're using, but also shift to words, phrases, sentences that are more helpful in creating that sense of expansion, integration, and happiness, really. That's what we're talking about is feeling less stress, greater happiness. Yeah. And the byproduct of that is your performance goes through the roof. I I actually had someone reach out to me the other day and my, my husband and I are opening three boxing gyms in the Denver area. And she said, how, how do you do it? And I thought she meant, how do you buy a franchise? And I was about to (laughs) explain how you do it. She said, no, I mean, how do you do it? You have a podcast, now you're opening three businesses, a two-year-old, you wrote a book and you have a coaching business. And, and it was a kind of a nice moment of, oh yeah, like this really does work. (laughs) And you know, some days it doesn't, but um, what I think it, it begins with kind of where we started being willing to acknowledge your honest experience, your honest experience of being spread thin or whatever language it comes up in. Um, But why I think that's really important is because it, it can always lead you back to the, how you're experiencing something so that you can change it. And a lot of times, I think, especially as we spend longer periods of time participating in personal development, that acknowledging of experience can get confused with being a victim or not taking ownership. 
But there's a lot of wisdom in the pain of our experiences. There's a lot of wisdom in understanding where parts of our life feel like bottlenecked or we feel overwhelmed or spread too thin. What we just don't want to do is use that language to describe and then continue to recreate it. So where I work with myself and where my clients is to really have a sensor for where does, where doesn't it feel good? But then from sort of like a Zen Buddhist perspective, they talk about sorrow, not for the purpose of suffering, but for the purpose of awareness. Because the, the, the way that we expand our capacity, the way we become the football field is all inner work. It's all inner work. It's not about managing external things, which to me is what balance feels like. It's about understanding where do I have some sort of idea about the way things should be going that's making me feel contracted. So one of the, the best examples I think I can give from the book is that I was so determined to be a present mother because I didn't want to be on my phone and not when I wanted, when I was with pepper, I wanted to be with pepper and the way that created contraction for me was in the evenings when pepper and I would be giggling and laughing and her dad would be there and we'd be putting her to bed. The dog would come in and start shoving her toy in my lap. And I think that's such a beautiful analogy for life because if we want to be engaged in our work, but our child gets sick, right? Or we want to be with our husband, but then work is in the way. There's always a, there's always something we want to be present to. And there's always a dog shoving a toy in our lap. (laughs) (laughs) And this haunted me. It was one of the most recurring haunting experiences of the, that entire journey of writing the book. And it just was kind of almost became like a character in the story, this, this repeated scene. And then one day I was, we were having this experience. I was sitting with Siba, Pepper was giggling and Opie ran up and started shoving her toy in my lap. And we were sitting, we happened to be sitting on the stairs in our kitchen that led to our deck and it was sunset and the sun came pouring through. And I had this moment where I just kind of zoomed out and I watched the whole thing as if I were in like a fly on the wall. And it was such a beautiful moment. And it occurred to me that Opie was just trying to participate in the joy. And that if I wasn't so obsessively focused on being present to Pepper, then I could actually become present and participate with the moment as a whole. And so why I share that is because being present with Pepper was initially expansive for me right? That was me allowing myself to lean into this role of motherhood and enjoy it, which is expansive, but it became limiting. And when I looked at that concept of presence and I saw that I could be so overly obsessed with the presence of a particular part of the moment and actually saw that being present with the whole moment would be better. All of a sudden that stress of the Opie shoving the toy in my lap went away. And that same exact thing could be true of you know, the, the pandemic has proved to be an enormous challenge for a lot of people because we used to be able to compartmentalize and balance work and home. But now that we all work from home, the edges are bleeding together. So if we can't understand how to embrace the totality of that experience and, and just let it kind of 
change our idea of what it means to be pr- present professional working from home, we're going to feel really contracted. It's going to feel like we're spinning plates. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that is such a fabulous um, story that I really would love my listeners to ponder because we've all have those moments when we are trying to focus on one thing and we get annoyed if something else comes in and interferes. And I love the fact that you were able to zoom out. What a great image that is. Um, I think of, you know, this forest and the trees kind of thing, where if we can zoom out enough to see everything, not just that one tree that we happen to be standing in front of at that moment, and get that perspective that you're talking about, it allows us to enjoy that moment more fully. I just think that's brilliant. I think that was such an important growth insight moment for you in, 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 in your whole life, because I'm a, I'm just guessing you've been able to apply that in many other moments since then. <laughs> many. <laughs> <laughs> the other analogy that I like to give sometimes is that if you imagine you're at a beautiful restaurant eating dinner with friends, let's put, put it in a gorgeous atmosphere, cobblestone floor, you know, and, you know, those, those bistro lights, you know, fountains and flowers and put it in the most beautiful scene you can imagine. And you're sitting with friends and you're sit down and you're having such a great conversation that you forget to look at the menu and the waiter comes up and he says, Hey, you know, what do you want? Like, oh, we laugh and we didn't even think about it. You, you order food, then the food comes and you're enjoying the food and it's so delicious. You don't think about the food as an interruption to the conversation. And you don't even think about the waiter as an interruption to the experience. And so to me, that's what life is like when we are, when we're labeling certain interruptions as like we talked about using the language as interruptions, it's all just life trying to participate with life. The same way, not none of the components of that meal take away from any of the other components. Mm-hmm. So it's a different way to look at it. Mm-hmm. So how do you help clients then when they deal with, let's say an incident or a major event that was unexpected and even unwelcome so that, and I know you honor people experiencing it and feeling it as they're going through it, but it can be unhelpful to stay in a state of unhappiness, you know, anger, any negative emotions. So how do you help them make that transition from being in the experience itself, but moving through and from it so they don't stay there and have it be disruptive to so many other parts of their lives? Hmm. I want to, I would love to share my answer to this in a, in a specific example. So I'm trying to yeah. think of one, what would be the most helpful for your listeners, something professionally related or personally related? Either one or both. Okay. Maybe we'll do both. I, I two come to mind. So th- from a professional standpoint, uh, one of my clients was doing well in their business, but feeling that the financial aspect of the business was unstable. So despite money coming in, the business felt unstable, which is creating a lot of stress and anxiety. They were working tons and tons of hours, but it just it kind of felt like a treadmill. It just couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And so unwanted experience is like the opposite of why we go into business, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so 
the first thing that, that we always, always do is yeah. First acknowledge what is happening because it sounds so simple, but we rarely acknowledge without resisting. And the reason that we do that, I think is because we're afraid that if we acknowledge something, we don't know how to fix that it will somehow feel worse. But there's this, when we resist an experience, whatever it is, it always adds a little bit of anxiety to something that already feels bad. So he was aware that this money thing was going on, but again, he was scrambling externally to fix it, which that's, you know, that's fine. That makes sense. But he wasn't slowing down enough to recognize, okay, this really is a problem that I don't like and I need to fix it. Right. But without resisting it. Is that nuance? Is that nuance coming across? I think it's a very important one because what you're really talking about there is thinking about the energy that's available for, I'm thinking you're probably going to a space where he was able to get more creative. Yes. And, and so it, it makes perfect sense. So yes, continue. Okay. Okay, Great. Um, And, you know, we could even talk about like the biological element of what, what we're even talking about. So if, if he's in the state of anxiousness, stress, and resistance, you are in your fight or flight nervous system. And just the way we work as human beings, if you're in that state of resistance and fight or flight, you actually don't even have access to the part of your brain that has creativity. Your prefrontal cortex shuts down. And so the importance of recognizing what you feel and also feeling it, not wallowing or staying in it, but just, okay, I feel bad. This is stressful. Just sit in that. Your nervous system calms down and you can get more access to your prefrontal cortex. So that's why that's important. So we would look at that, but then the the second place that I would go with my client isn't into problem solving. It actually goes into how are you, what's happening in you? How are you looking at your business? How are you making decisions? How are you relating to your team that's actually creating this or at least in part causing it? And so one of the things that we found in this particular case is that he was a really inspired, ambitious person, but that had him leaning out from some of the more detail-oriented stuff that bored him. And so this idea of that's boring or I don't have time for that was creating this contraction. So his capacity to solve that problem was a lot less. So when we looked at that and really it's all about slowing down, he started to understand that 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 actually isn't boring. Like when I look at that differently, it's a really important element. And he saw that that the cause and effect that it was having, which allowed him to relax, both relax around it and get more engaged with it. So even though it was a problem that he thought was going to take a year to solve, it was resolved in three months and he felt more relaxed about not recreating it. So it's rarely ever about the external thing itself. Hmm. I love that example, because it, it really emphasizes the importance of something you're so good at helping clients do, which is go within, instead of looking out there for all these reasons why or causes for, look at what's going on. Because I'm guessing you're finding in 100% of the cases, it's something, it's a belief they're holding, a story they're telling themselves, something within that is 
unconsciously creating or contributing to the issue that they're dealing with. 100%. And then the sort of like the second arrow of that is that when we go into that anxious state, our biology is designed to have us look outside and prevent us from looking inside. Mm. And that actually from an evolutionary perspective is super helpful because if you and I are walking down the the back streets of New York in a particularly dangerous neighborhood, and we hear a trash can fall, it's really useful for you and I not to go, well, what do you think you're believing about life that's having you feel fear? (laughs) Really evolutionary purposeless. And so when it's important to understand that because when we feel stressed or anxious or contracted, it's our biology to look at outside circumstances and try to fix them as much as possible. And, and it doesn't work. So getting into a space of acknowledgement allows your nervous system to relax so you can look inside and say, what am I believing about finances? Or, you know, another one that comes up a lot in leadership, I'm sure you've come across this is, I don't want to delegate because that makes me, a, makes me a bad boss or people will be mad at me or whatever. And that keeps you feeling super contracted. Your capacity is limited. Yeah, these... I think it's really useful to use a term like contracting because we can visualize that. And as we think about contracting being smaller, we are, to me, making ourselves more limited. And I know that you have some pretty strong beliefs and uh, beliefs may not even be the right word, knowing maybe the more accurate word of how limitless we all really are. Mm-hmm. And that's something you're always for yourself, pushing these perceived boundaries that we have. So give us some thoughts on what does it take? Cause you learned this yourself in your various evolutions as a mother and still are as Pepper gets older and older, there will be additional ones, but how do we even recognize when we have a boundary in place And then once we do, how do we expand beyond that? So how we know we have a a limitation in place, Mm -hmm. you feel pain. It's really that simple. You feel pain or frustration or guilt or uh, incapability or doubt or anxiety. It's, it, and the reason it's that simple is because, and this could be a rabbit hole of its own, is that our emotions are caused by our thinking. Our emotions are a result of the things that we're thinking and believing. Believing believes our thoughts. There's just belief means to hold dear. It's a thought I hold dear. And so that's why I say like the way we expand past them is to befriend pain, to befriend it. And understand that if something, if you're experiencing pain about a particular circumstance in your life, it's my belief that that circumstance has come into your life to show you your limitations, not so that you can be prisoner to them, but so that you can release them and expand. So, yeah. I want you to talk more about that because I think that, um, you know, that to me is a key thing that your book is all about. It's a, it's a theme throughout it. 
that instead of fighting where it is that you are in a given moment, you embrace it to figure out what can I learn from this? What is this teaching me? And I think that's a really different perspective. It goes back to what you're saying about resistance. You know, we, we put up a fight. So what are some tips or insights around, because you've learned so much, just motherhood alone, but also your own individual growth. What are some things that we can do, I guess, to help us accelerate getting to that point that we really want to learn from this, even mm-hmm. as we experience pain, discomfort, whatever the negative is, mm-hmm. what have you found to be some good ways to uh, uh, embrace and work through that? Mm. Now, let me, I want to flip open here my table of contents because it might trigger something here. As you're looking that up, I want to just quote something you had written. You yeah. said, um, you know, we want to do more to lean in and recognize life's challenges are specifically designed for your success. Mm-hmm. So that to me is a whole different way of looking at a challenge instead of saying, why me? And, you know, having any other kind of victim language to think this is designed for my success. What does it take to really adopt that mindset? Practice (laughs) in a little insanity, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) No, uh, you know, actually the, the story that comes up is my birth story. Pepper's birth story, rather our birth story, I suppose it, it was, it couldn't have been more opposite of what I wanted. So I was committed to a natural birth. I took hypnobirthing classes. I meditated like an hour a day for five months, visualizing the labor. I researched child. I mean, I, I can be insane sometimes, but I, I probably took it on like a little too hardcore, <laughs> I wanted, I just really had this perfect vision and it couldn't have gone more opposite. I had to be induced. Um, you know, I, I could probably even shift that language. I chose to be induced with a little bit of un doubtful pressure, but you know, if I own that, it feels a little better. Uh, the labor lasted three days. She wouldn't come out. She was flipped facing the opposite direction. I ended up with an epidural. The epidural was like partially off. So it was only half numb. And I ended up with a C-section that I wasn't even conscious for. I mean, it was, and I was grieving that for probably the whole year. And it was, that was a really hard experience to understand how could this possibly be for my success? This just felt unfair. It just felt wrong. It felt how, and I was, that should happen to somebody else who didn't spend 400 hours preparing physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually for childbirth. (laughs) That shouldn't have happened to me. But because I I really, I am, I think it's part commitment, I think would be my first answer. It just, to me, it feels better to look at life that way. Maybe it's wrong. You know, I'm not even saying that it's right. But to me, it feels better to just think that life is in partnership with me. It's not me against life. You know, I'm, it, it feels better. And so because I hold that as true, I'm always looking for how it could be true. 
And it, and the other second part of it is you might not get to know that while you're in it. That's something my husband reminds me all the time, just because life is always offering you a lesson. Doesn't mean you learn that lesson when you're in the thick of it. A lot of times it comes later. And for me, that came on the day I was writing the last page of the book on her first birthday. And it just, that memory of me right before childbirth, I was hysterically sobbing. I mean, I was inconsolably crying, called my mom, so terrified of the childbirth. She couldn't console me. It was just, I was so upset. And that kept coming up to, to memory. And it remind it, it just, something just settled in in that moment, which was I needed to not be awake. I needed for a part of me to just not experience and not for some trauma thing. But I really truly believe that part of me never woke up from that. And that not being a part of that experience was necessary for me to like that, that version of me went down on that table and another version of me woke up and it was just instant peace. So I think if I reverse engineer that story to what we need to do to, to embrace this idea of life being designed for your success is that first to believe that, and you don't have to believe it right away. You could test it. You could look back at the different areas of your life where you experienced really challenging things or really hard moments or difficult conversations with people that you love and saw that on the other side of that, something good emerged from it. And it would be equally helpful to look back at the times where that wasn't the case and to maybe see why. And then there is a, there's a bit of a, like a, a lesson scavenger hunt, right? To me, it's almost become a game. It's almost like, what could, what could this be teaching me? And then the third part is to be really, really honest. Honesty is probably one of my most highest held values and, and integrity in the sense of being clean with yourself we know when we're lying to ourselves, even when we don't know we're lying to ourselves because we just don't feel clean. And so I'm always searching for that feeling of clean. And if I don't feel clean, I know I haven't learned the lesson about something. What do you mean by clean? What does that look like or feel like inside? So let's imagine that you have a, like a either minor or major conflict at work, that uh, you're feeling irritated or something's unfair because uh, somebody else got a promotion and you didn't. And you really thought you deserved that promotion. You really thought you earned it. And you really were sure that you were going to be the one that got it. And then you didn't. And you're feeling this bitterness and you're feeling angry. To me, that's not, that's not clean, right? That's not like clean is, I'll explain the contrast, right? So then let's say you sit down with me and I'm really into truth and integrity and learning from life. And what we discover is first we acknowledge that you're really angry. It feels really unfair. We just let you be in that. But because you've now let yourself be in that, you can relax a little bit and go, okay, what else could have played into this? What could have happened? And what we find is that maybe the other person was actually a better fit. Maybe they actually were a better fit. They had more experience. They've been showing up more. And then you zoom out a little bit more and you realize that you've actually been feeling kind of bitter and underappreciated at this job for a while. So you haven't been raising your hand on projects and you've been kind of putting in 
the bare minimum, which for you is still really high performing, but it's not your all. And so there's a a discomfort with that honesty because it does require you to look at yourself and look at the way you participated in in creating that outcome. And when you do it from that place, which is non-judgmental and still honors the fact that you're mad about it, all of a sudden there's an inner settling that feels really similar to when you're in an argument with a, a friend or family member, but you finally come to an understanding with each other that feeling that floods your body of like, oh, that's what I mean by clean. It's like the angst is gone and you feel like you're not defending yourself or blaming anybody else. You're not agitated inside anymore. Mm -hmm. Is what uh, the sense that I was getting when, when I was listening to you describe it, it's like that. It feels there's, there's no um, loose ends. Mm-hmm. that I haven't addressed or acknowledged or dealt with. And Not I with think yourself or anybody else. Yeah. I think what you're describing is just so important. Um, and, and it goes back to that whole zooming out again and looking and, and it reminds me of, you know, people that have said, this is happening for me. Yeah. Even though in the moment it can be hard to see that if it's something we really wanted or something we really didn't want and the unexpected happens. I think one of the big takeaways that I'm getting from our conversation is acknowledging that and then looking at how can I learn from benefit? How is this for me Mm -hmm. in this moment? Yeah. And I think that if you are willing to at least test adopting that theory for a while, just test it out, what you'll find is that you, be, you're, you become much more willing to sit in hard experiences for longer mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you might not feel comfortable and happy, but you actually are more okay with that because you know, there's something in it for you. You just can't see yet. And so what happens as a result of that is that we bump up against these challenging circumstances in life and they don't feel good, but we don't suffer. We're no longer in the victim seat. Yeah. That's really important, I think. Yeah, that's great. Well, I know we're getting close to the end of our time. I do want to um, ask you about one thing that you had in your book that um, just kind of popped out. It was so interesting. And this was related to an infant, you said, stop asking for love like an infant. And I thought that was so interesting in the context of your work with clients and what do you, how do you advise or guide them about raising their awareness and communicating their needs to others? Because that's really what we're talking about. We expect parents to learn how to read their infant without the infant telling them since they don't have that capability. But as adults, we do, except we, do. we don't always do it. <laughs> so what, um, what do you do to help clients with that? The, I think the first thing is to recognize that there are some reasons that we do it, aside from the fact that we're kind of conditioned to do it. And the second is we, we hold some cultural beliefs that I shouldn't have to. If somebody loves me, they should know what I need. There's, and I get it. And there's just nothing further from reality. 
The second is if I'm not getting it, I don't deserve it. That's a really big one. Um, and the third one is I've already asked for it. I already told them. And this shows up as much personally as it does professionally. So in a personal relationship, it might look like your husband or your spouse or your kid or your sister, they never call you. Well, tell them, Hey, I'd love for you to call me at once a week. <laughs> You're allowed to communicate your desire to somebody else and then continue to remind them when they forget. Because everyone is so caught up in their own experience of their own life. They're, they're simply just not, they're not that attuned to what you want or need, but it's our job to teach people how to treat us. But even more specifically, it's our job to teach people how to love us because how this shows up in the professional environment, I see it all the time. doesn't matter what level of an organization someone works, they feel Am I doing a good enough job? Am I like everybody has those same insecurities? My, my boss isn't really one to offer acknowledgement. And I always ask, how often do you ask for it? What do you mean? What do you mean? I can't ask my boss to do that. I'm like, sure you can. Leadership goes up as much as it goes down. It's our job. And it's not walking in with a demand saying, you better email me once a day and tell me I'm doing a good job. It's, hey, just so you know, I thrive thrive when I feel acknowledged for my work and you do a great job at that in this and this, in this area, what I would love is when you notice something, just shoot me a quick email and say, Hey, I loved what you did on that. And when they forget, it's not a day when they forget, ask for it again. Hey, I'd love to hear what you liked about my presentation last Friday. And what you start to find is that it's so easy and people love to love each other. We just don't always know how because we we we're, we tend to give and receive love in ways that we experience it, but that's very different for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So when I say don't ask for love like an infant, it's you know, Pepper doesn't know how to communicate her needs, but we do. Oh, we could right. <laughs> well, Vanessa, this has been so fun. We could go on and on, I know. Thank you so much for your own example of pursuing your your development, your learning, your growth, and the way that you show up and bring that to others. I just love and admire that so much about you. And I know that many of my listeners will want to connect with you and learn more about your work, maybe learn more about your own show, your weekly show, and definitely get a copy of your book. So tell us how they can do all of that. So the easiest place to do all of that is it's all on my website. So (laughs) I'm imagining my name will be written somewhere, but it's Vanessa Brewers coaching.com. And my, you can order my book there. You can reach out to me personally there. You can check out my show there. And I, I, I can't help, but recommend that everyone listen to your episode on my show because it's, it is hands down one of the favorites because it's so good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we talked a lot there about building relationships and asking. And so Vanessa Brewers, B-R-O-E-R-S coaching.com. Thank you, Vanessa, for being with me and for sharing your wisdom with my audience today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to Grow Strong Leaders 
www.amyjoyfeldman.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.